Welcome to this episode of Mapping Out Ethereum 2.0 with Christine Kim and Ben Edgington. Join the conversation as the ETH 2.0 Dream Team discuss its live development, its potential impact on the crypto markets, and spotlight major Ethereum news events as they develop. This episode is sponsored by Unique One Network and MIMO. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hi guys, welcome back to Mapping Out ETH 2.0, hosted by yours truly, Christine Kim and Consensus's Ben Edgington. Hi everybody. Uh, as ever, Christine and I will be going through your weekly roundup of markets, tech and community related news about Ethereum and Ethereum 2.0. And we have a very special guest who will be accompanying us on this journey this week. But before we get to that, Christine, we talked about ETHCC last time. It's all done now. Did you catch any of it? What did you think? I tried to tune into as many segments of ETHCC as I could virtually, but it's not the same. I felt a lot of FOMO, like <laughs> watching on Twitter, like the kinds of meetings people were having, all the fun that looked like what's going on without me. So honestly, I'm not going to lie. I was pretty sad <laughs> um, for most of it because I wasn't there. Ben, did you also experience the same? Yeah, totally. I caught a, a lot of the talks online, but I missed out on the bars, the meals, the friends, and it was a bit sad watching from afar, but some great talks and great content. So check it out. It's all still available on the YouTube channels and there's some really good stuff. I'm planning to do a roundup of some of the Ethereum 2.0 talks in this week's What's New in ETH2. So look out for that. Yeah, well, related to ETHCC and also what went down at the conference, we have someone, our special guest here, who actually went in person. Joining us today is Alex Obedia of the research and development organization Flashpots. Great to have you today on the show, Alex. What was your experience like at ETHCC? Thank you. Thank you, Christine and Ben, for having me. ETC was, was great. I gave a presentation on ETH2 and EIP1559 with Alejo, another member of our team. It's one of the first community conferences after Corona. I guess Miami was maybe the first one, but that wasn't as East-centric as, as this one. And so it was good to meet old friends, meet the new people in our community, especially I think there's a lot of new NFT fans and generally, you know, getting a temperature check of the theme community. So I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Did it pass the vibe check? Was the temperature like pretty chill? It did. It did. I, I, I will say uh, there's still Corona happening. And so, of course, it's not as relax relax as pre-corona and you know i'm still excited for the upcoming community conferences where corona will be fully gone and it'll be even more relaxed and there'll be less restrictions but yeah i definitely passed the vibe check uh, generally people are very excited it's fun to see alex your specialty and your expertise is on this topic of minor and maximal extracted value and for this episode we really want to go deeper into understanding the mev market how MEV works on a technical level and how it's impacting the community of Ethereum today. So of course, for people who've already listened in on Alex's talk from ETCC, we'll link it into the show notes today. Today will be like a more in-depth conversation on the other facets of MEV. We want to start with the basics though. Let's talk a little bit about the market for MEV first. Yeah. So uh, Alex, I, I watched your talk and it was great. In that talk, don't know if it was yourself or Alejo who said them, but the words impending MEV crisis 
were used, which sounds a little bit terrifying. I think we need to unpack this a little. So let's just go through the basics. What is MEV and what is Flashbot's role in all of this? MEV used to be minor extractable value, and we've now, quote unquote, rebranding it to maximal extractable value. Uh, in essence, it's, it's the value that can be permissionally extracted from the reordering, censoring, or insertion of transactions within a, a block that is being proposed. And so initially, it was called minor extractable value, and that, that term was coined by Phil Dine, one of my collaborators at, at Flashbots, in his paper, Flashbots 2.0, because miners have the ultimate power with respect to transaction ordering and if in proof of work Ethereum. And so as they assemble a block, they pick transactions from the mempool. And while they usually pick the transactions with the highest transaction fee, uh, and so gas price times gas use, or they kind of filter through this to see which transactions are going to pay them the highest fee, there is no obligation for miners to do this. And in fact, they have full control over the um, ordering of these transactions. And what Flashpost 2.0, this paper from Phil Dine, shows is that there is a growing financial incentive for miners to potentially reorder transactions in a way that are not by gas price and instead are by uh, other factors that creates more value for them. And this is where the term minor extractable value comes from. It was upgraded to maximal extractable value just because we wanted to encompass uh, realities where miners are not the ultimate block proposers. And so the term maximal extractable value works well for uh, validators or, or other networks where there aren't miners. That's cool. Why should we worry about this? What is the problem that's, um, that's going on here? Uh, why is it a, a crisis? Right, right. Sorry, that, that was the second part of your, of your question, right? So the issue is, if uh, the financial incentive of miners to reorder transactions in ways that are beneficial to them grows, it gets to a point where the settlement guarantees of Ethereum are eroded in a way where I submit a transaction and my transaction might be uh, messed with in some way, not directly by editing or modifying the transaction itself, but by constructing transactions around it that may have an impact on my own transaction. Um, another issue that is brought up in, in that paper, Flashboys 2.0, are, are time bandit attacks, right? And so the incentive of miners to potentially reorg the chain to uh, put themselves on the other side of transactions that are very profitable and extract MEV there. And what is shown in that paper, and they don't provide a lot of data there, but there's a lot of intuition that the financial incentive for this kind of reorg to happen is actually very high and it, it would cost a lot less to, to execute that reorg uh, relative to the profit you can make from it. And so that, that's the impending MEV crisis that kind of spurred us to create flashbots, th this problem around minor incentives. Another thing related to that is that most MEV, as I mentioned, MEV is the value that can be extracted from transaction ordering. And where is there a lot of value from transaction ordering today on Ethereum? It's decentralized finance. And the, the ordering of transactions that are particularly going after certain opportunities that are time-bounded, for example, arbitrage opportunities where you're trying to be after a, a large Uniswap trade or a liquidation. Yeah. So Alex, I mean, one other question that I wanted to also put out there in relation to the issue of MEV is it has these negative consequences, but one of the things that Flashbots got famous for was for actually making it easier for miners to extract MEV from Ethereum. Tell me a little bit about Flashbots auction. 
and how it makes MEV activity on Ethereum that much more efficient and that much more profitable for miners to start undertaking and start to have more of their revenue come from MEV as opposed to the more traditional ways of gaining revenue on Ethereum, which is, you know, transaction fees and block rewards. There's several things there to pick up on. The first one that I didn't mention before is that a lot of the existing MEV activity on Ethereum before Flashbots took place in a normal mempool and so bloated the Ethereum network with a lot of activity that was socialized to the rest of the users in a way where a few people were battling in the mempool to seize some opportunity and they were uh, increasing gas prices for everyone else that just wanted to use the Ethereum network for other use cases that weren't as time sensitive. Uh, similarly, they were a type of trading strategy called backrunning that consisted in spamming the Ethereum network with a lot of small transactions. And again, that took a lot of bandwidth of Ethereum. And last point that I want to mention around that is a lot of transactions going after the same opportunity, there would only be one that would seize it and a lot of others would just be canceled, but would still be included in the chain. So what Flashbots did with Flashbots Auction is actually separating out all this activity into a separate communication channel where people that want to battle to seize opportunities can do so without uh, impacting negatively the, the rest of Ethereum. So Flashbots Auction, in a nutshell, is this communication channel between Ethereum users and miners where they can express their preference over transaction ordering in a more granular way than simply by upping their gas price and fighting others over that. Is the auction a layer two or is it a DAP, like a smart contract? So it's neither of those things. The auction currently is a very simple system that's centralized. On the trader side, they submit a normal Ethereum transaction uh, that has a slightly different construction. And that transaction is submitted to a relay that is maintained by Flashbots. And that relay then relays the transactions to all the miners. What Flashbots has built on the miner side is a modified Ethereum client. So we've, we've modified Geth very, very uh, lightly. And Geth has now additional logic that can take in those transactions with the additional fees that those transactions pay and construct a block where those transactions are included in their relevant ordering. And what this client does on top of this is it also compares uh, how much a miner would make if they were building a normal Ethereum block, and it will switch to that block if it's more profitable to miners. Uh, and so there's a parallel worker that basically builds blocks in parallel and then proposes one or the other, depending on the profit a miners make. I think it has been working in terms of taking a lot of this uh, bidding activity off the main chain over the last couple of months. We can see that uh, in the gas prices are uh, much better than they were two, three months ago. It seems like Flashbots is working in, in that sense. Uh, what sort of value are we talking about? What magnitude of transactions are people doing via Flashbots or to extract MEV? What are the rewards available for miners? I'd love to think that Flashbots has had a positive impact on gas prices, although I don't think there's strong conclusive data yet. And so to answer your question, let me explain Flashbots Auction. So what users participate in when they use Flashbots Auction is they, they submit a single transaction or an array of signed transactions, um, Ethereum transactions, to the Flashbots Relay, and then the Relay transmits those to miners. And there is essentially an auction that takes place between transactions that are somewhat overlapping or arrays of transactions that might affect the same state. How those arrays of transactions, or we call them bundles, are compared I mean, there's many factors to that, and I think it's maybe beyond the scope of this discussion, but each of these bundles has 
a fee that is associated to them that can be paid several ways. One of them is using the Coinbase opcode. So you pay whoever mines the particular block your bundle is going to be included in. What's interesting about that is that if you use the Coinbase opcode, you can make your payment conditional on the execution of your bundle. And so that provides interesting guarantees to a lot of traders where either they get atomic execution of their whole bundle, so their array of transactions, where they pay the fee to the miner at the end through the Coinbase opcode, or they don't, and they don't pay for cancellations. And so what usually happens is users of the Flashbot system are going to pay a share of the profits they make from a particular trading opportunity to uh, the miner. And the share they pay is uh, entirely up to them and is based on uh, the competition that others going after the same opportunity are paying for the same opportunity. There's uh, some nuances and subtleties there, but that's overall how that works. And so in terms of size so far, the amount of rewards that have been paid to miners, we have a a dashboard you can check at dashboard.flashbots.net where this number is shown. I think it should be something like $150 million, uh, maybe a little more than that, maybe closer to $200 million now. Yeah, we'll definitely link to the dashboard in our show notes because one other thing I want to note about like the value is just the shape of the curve, like how quickly the amount of MEV value being extractive has increased over 2021, specifically since you guys started the Flashbox auction. And I want to move us a little bit deeper into the technology behind how you guys are tracking this. And you explained a lot of it very well, Alex, with the auction. Can you tell me about some of the findings from your research on MEV, especially as it relates to Ethereum 2.0? So given the kind of activity that you're seeing in the MEV market on Ethereum today, what kind of projections are you thinking about as it relates to when Ethereum finally merges on a technical level from proof of work to proof of stake? Happy to talk about that. So far, we've talked about what MEV is and how miners order transactions and have power over transaction ordering, and they essentially get paid a fee through to flashbots to order transactions uh, in a way that that users would like to. And so that fee can represent uh, a share of MEV that is paid to miners, essentially. So if you now use that same logic in ETH2, you don't have miners anymore, but you have validators and they still order transactions. And so you can think of the rewards that validators would get to order transactions because the concept of transaction ordering and of users wanting to express their preference over the ordering in a particular Ethereum block is still relevant. And so one of the fighting of the research is using existing numbers that we have on MEV to look at the impact of MEV rewards on validator yields and validator rewards. What was particularly striking is that because of the, the different structure of rewards in these two MEV is a much bigger deal relative to general rewards that validators make. So that was one interesting result from that. And then a lot of things kind of flowed from that. One of them was that uh, MEV might amplify inequalities between validators in ETH2 just because MEV is it's not evenly distributed between blocks. And so some blocks might have a lot more MEV than others, which implies some blocks will pay out a much bigger reward to the validator for that particular block. And so that might increase inequality between validators, especially in a world where whoever gets that big reward can then spin up more validators and you have this this kind of rich get richer dynamic. So we're doing more research on that to understand it better. Alex, in terms of fixing MEV, if you feel that it it needs fixing, I mean, maybe it's just something that, that is. I work on Ethereum 2 protocol stuff. Is that 
where we should be looking at fixing things or should we be looking at the application layer or what, what are your sort of ideas or suggestions for how we can lessen the negative impacts of this uh, maximal extractable value? Right. So I definitely think there's a spectrum for MEV. Some of it is, is much more negative than others. And so I think on the positive front or on the front where I think people would agree that it's positive, MEV related to, to liquidations, for example, or the MEV that is created from a price discrepancy on Uniswap that is then corrected by an arbitrator that seizes that opportunity, that is quote unquote good MEV, right? On the other side of the spectrum, you have MEV that is essentially bad. I think the, the worst kind would be, for example, hacks, right? Flash loan based hacks are to some extent very clever trades, but at the same time, they're clearly net social negative for the, for the space, right? And that's something we want to mitigate. There are a lot of different approaches one can take to mitigate it. And at Flashbox, we, we definitely believe that MEV uh, should be mitigated, but we also believe that it can't uh, be fully mitigated down to zero just because of the, the, the stateful nature of Ethereum and smart contract-based blockchains where there are so many angles of, of, of interactions, if you will, that it's going to be very hard to cover yourself in all directions. Uh, and so for the MEV, that cannot be mitigated. Uh, in that case, it's important to have an efficient and democratic mechanism for it to be extracted so that, again, it doesn't lead to this you know, very exclusive club of a few entities that can extract this value and enrich themselves. That's, I guess, the idea behind a lot of what we do. Right. You're trying to make transparent what is kind of would otherwise be hidden and happening in, in dark corners. You're trying to kind of bring it into the light, if I understand correctly. That's one of our three kind of main pillars of what we're doing around this MEV crisis that I've been mentioned at the beginning. So one of it is democratizing extraction. And so the MEV auction is, is one of our efforts there. Another one is illuminating the quote-unquote dark forest. And so generally bringing more awareness to this activity. So the dashboard that we mentioned, and there, there are two dashboards, right? The Flashbox dashboard and the more kind of general MEV dashboard. Some of our efforts there and generally what the community events that we throw, et cetera. And the last one that we haven't really published a lot of work on yet is distributing this value, right? If, if there is inherently value that is created out of this, you want it to reinforce the security of Ethereum or of any blockchains, or generally you want it to be a strength rather than a weakness. That's something that's, that's a tough nut to crack and something we're spending a lot of time thinking about. Right, right. I think we have to wrap up the show now. But one final question for you, Alex, looking ahead to the future, looking ahead to the upcoming months with what you've built on Flashbots auction, as well as the dashboard, what are some new upgrades and new projects we can expect from Flashbots moving forward? Are there any plans to start decentralizing Flashbots auctions? When you were talking about how do we start distributing MEV rewards, MEV extraction to make it, you know, not just go to a select few, but perhaps to a wider base of users? Tell me a little bit about the upgrades and the new features we can expect coming up from Flashbots in the upcoming months. Right. So I think what you can expect already is we're making our infrastructure more resilient and stronger. And generally, we've seen we've been very lucky to uh, see a lot of adoption of our of our technology. That is imperfect, of course, as you mentioned, is, is still centralized. And so one is making our the current infrastructure more resilient and more, more robust to be able to, to handle the, the current adoption and generally the, the flow that is going through it. Second is the further research that we're doing, one in 
providing technology where users have full privacy until their transaction is included on chain, which to us is very important because it goes back to what we've mentioned before, the incentive for uh, the transaction order to be able to, to meddle with the transaction ordering should they have any financial incentive to do so. And separately, we are absolutely working on ways to fully decentralize the system, either by uh, having a completely different mechanism that still has the same properties, but doesn't rely on this kind of relaying system and potentially looking into collapsing some of the existing functionalities into the protocol itself. And so we're very open to that. And it's one of the thing that's on our mind the most, right? How to have a system that, that's fully decentralized and fully permissionless and as trustless as possible. And so we are working on this. One thing that may be worth checking out is the, our work on a spec that uses uh, Intel SGX, so a secure enclaves to provide this full privacy that I just mentioned. And then separately, the alternative specs are more related to ETH2 about collapsing some of the existing functions. Right, yeah. So we didn't have time to get to this on the show with you, but of course, Flashbots, you, you guys work alongside with Ethereum developers. And um, I'm sure there are decentralized finance applications and exchanges that would want to work more closely on this topic of MEV with you guys. So we'll definitely be tracking and keeping a, a tab on kind of what you guys are up to. We really appreciate the time. Thank you very much, Alex, for joining us on today's show. And we will be right back after this quick break from our sponsors. There's so many blockchains and NFT marketplaces these days, and none of them work together. Introducing Unique One Network, the easy way to build multi-blockchain DeFi-enabled NFT marketplaces, where instead of picking your favorite blockchain, you let your users and creators pick for themselves. Powered by Polkadot, Unique One Network lets you service NFT creators and collectors across art, photography, philanthropy, gaming, finance, and more. So do yourself a favor and head over to uniqueone.network now to learn more. That's uniqueone.network to learn more. Looking to exit the volatility of crypto, but don't want to deal with the inflation of the dollar? Minting PAR using MIMO DeFi is exactly what you're looking for to get ahead of that. PAR is the number one euro peg token on the market, minted at an incredibly low 2% interest rate and backed by collaterals like Ether, Bitcoin, and USDC. Stabilize your portfolio. Open a vault and access the power of blockchain through MIMO protocol today at MIMO.capital. That's MIMO, M-I-M-O, dot capital. And we're back. So we just had Alex Obedia on the show to talk about the MEV market and the tech being built around tracking MEV, extracting MEV. Ben, what were your initial thoughts about that conversation with Alex? I actually love what Flashbots is doing, but I, I think it's fair to say it is a bit controversial in the community. I've just remembered that I think Ari Jules, who was mentioned as one of the authors of the original Flashbots paper, wrote an op-ed uh, on Coindesk a few months ago, which was quite negative about what Flashbots was doing and criticizing their, their approach. So, you know, even amongst some of the people working on this, this is a controversial topic, whether it's a force for good or force um, for not so good uh, in the community. Myself, I think we, we mentioned this a little bit last time. I much rather this stuff was done openly and by, quote, the good guys 
than done in a dark corner by, quote, the bad guys, uh, which is what would happen without people like this. But there is a bit of a sort of a kind of moral gray area here about whether facilitating the extraction of value is good or or not good. And generally, yeah, as I say, I'm, I'm glad they're doing it. I'm glad they're being transparent about it and sharing as much as they can. It seems to be an appropriate way. What do you think? Yeah, I thought it was interesting when Alex had mentioned that the that one of the reasons why using Flashbots auction is good for the Ethereum ecosystem is that it tries and takes away some of the transaction activity bloating the blockchain, making gas fees, transaction fees go up because this kind of auctioning system, this kind of haggling over MEV happens in a more centralized platform, basically away from the blockchain. Uh, but then he also said that it's very difficult to actually quantify how much of an impact Flashbots auction has had. Though I think that as MEV becomes more lucrative, as the amount of DeFi activity happening on Ethereum increases, I would imagine that these kinds of communication channels will become a lot more active. I just hope that there, like Alex was saying, there are decentralized alternatives to them, ones that can be more transparently tracked and followed than Flashbots, which relies heavily on the Flashbots team to really continue to innovate and continue to share with the community. I guess one other topic of discussion too is I hadn't known that Flashbox auction was centralized in the first place. I had thought that it was like a separate side channel of Ethereum, but it's not. Ben, was that surprising to you too? Were you aware of on a technical level how Flashbots auction works? I don't know all of the details of it, so, yeah, I haven't really thought about it, to be uh, completely honest, Christine. But yes, that's an interesting point. And I was very interested in Alex's third point about one of the goals of Flashbots being to redistribute some of the, the rewards gained through this activity to democratize that amongst the participants in, in the network. Uh, and I thought you made a great point about decentralizing that. So, there's definitely a, quite a way to run on this one. I mean, this, this story is, is only beginning, I think. Uh, we've got 1559 coming. That will affect things. We've got the merge, which, as Alex said, will, will affect the economics of all this. We've got layer twos developing, which, again, will change the kind of mix of transactions on, on Ethereum. And we've got layer twos that claim to be uh, immune to this, like Arbitrum claims that they are not amenable to extraction of value because of the way they order transactions. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot going on. It's uh, a story that's going to run and run. And one other part about you know all these moving parts, it's going to be up to groups like the Ethereum cat herders to facilitate coordination between various community stakeholders. You've got these, this research and development group, Flashbots, but there's also decentralized applications that are building into their technology, um, these kinds of workarounds for MEV, which may or may not be helpful. Maybe they'll create more problems than solutions. Who knows? There's also the users. There's the developers themselves, um, the developers themselves that are building out the new protocol of Ethereum, Ethereum 2.0. Ben, how much coordination and collaboration are Ethereum 2.0 developers having with the Flashbots organization slash other researchers on MEV? Well, you know, this is what I love most about uh, Ethereum. It's organic and everything emerges from the sort of primeval, primordial swamp. So nothing. That's what you mean. You <laughs> um, mean nothing. 
Uh, so Vitalik, I know, is in touch with these guys. He produced some articles he wrote a month or so ago after a conversation with these guys, an ETH research post about ways in which small miners like myself or small validators like myself on Ethereum 2 need not be disadvantaged through MEV. So by having separating block producers from block proposers. Vitalik also wrote a co-authored an article with Paradigm about a week ago about how Ethereum 2 will be more resistant to this time bandit attack that we talked about last time. It's basically what we, what we said last time, but he, he puts it more uh, scientifically <laughs> than I did. Uh, so yeah, there's definitely dialogue there. And we're interested in looking at what we can do at protocol level to make this more fair and not to disadvantage anybody. All right, fair enough. I'll let that elaborate answer slide. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was good. Um, well, yeah, I think we're going to wrap up the show there. I want to thank everybody for tuning in and also give another shout out to our guest today, Alex Obedia from Flashbots. Please join us again next week for your, another weekly roundup of your markets, tech, and community-related news to the evolution of the Ethereum blockchain. It's always the best topic for your Thursday, I promise you. <laughs> if you have any questions you would like answered on today's podcast, you can connect with Ben and me and Alex all on Twitter. Our handles will be in today's show notes. You can also subscribe to our newsletters. I write every other week on what's new in ETH2, which you can find at eth2.news. Or follow me on Twitter and I'll let you know when the next one is out. Christine writes Valid Points, which comes out every Wednesday at coindesk.com. See you all next week for mapping out ETH 2.0, Ethereum as it was meant to be. Bye, everybody. You have been listening to Mapping Out ETH 2.0, part of the Coindesk Podcast Network. This episode featured Christine, Kim, and Ben Edgington with guest Alex Obadia. Today's show is produced, edited, and announced by Michelle Mousseau. Additional production support by Teddy Osterbahn with music by Tide Electric. Did you enjoy the show? We would love to hear what you think. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred service and talk to us directly via email at podcasts at coindesk.com.